Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Last weekend, we introduced our Elevate series, and it's all about finding and fulfilling your higher calling, God's purpose for your life. And we started last week um, with five questions that we're going to take each one each week, but it has to do with how you discover your purpose. How do you discover God's calling on your life? And it starts with deciding what is going to be the center of my life. What am I going to build my life around? There's a lot of things you can build your life around. Most of them are going to let you down. So it's deciding the center of your life. Second thing is, what's going to be the character of my life? What is the person that I want to become, the person I am in the process of becoming? And then what's the community of my life, the people that I'm going to do life with? And how is that going to build into my life? And how am I going to build into theirs? And then what's the contribution of my life that God has given to every one of us, abilities, talents, resources, financial resources. We are, he gave that to us to make a contribution in this world. And then the last one is, what's going to be the, uh, the communication of my life? What do I want my life to say? When it comes to the end, when, at my funeral, what do I want people to be able to say was true about me? The contribution that I made, the, the, the impact that I have. What is, what is my life saying right now? that's moving in that direction. So those are the five things we're going to look at. Today we're starting with the idea of your center, and it's all about discovering your life purpose and calling from the inside out. And, and that's how it happens. It starts with the center of your life, and everything flows out of that. And that's kind of what we're going to be taking a look at like uh, that this week. And it's, um, sometimes around here, we talk about it as living a wholehearted life, becoming wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ. In fact, that's our mission statement. We exist as a church to help unchurched people become wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ. And sometimes people ask me, what does that look like? How do I know if I'm wholehearted? What does is, what is wholehearted look like? And it's, well, I'm not going to talk about wholehearted follower necessarily of Jesus, but, but I did bring you a kind of a visual picture of what it looks like to be wholehearted. It looks something like this. Okay? For those of you who don't know, Pastor Larry is a Broncos fan. If you hadn't picked that up, he is a wholehearted Broncos fan. Nobody would dress like that unless they were seriously wholehearted about the whole thing. All right? That's whole. And, and by the way, after I, after I got the picture, I was looking, there's actually somebody laying on the floor behind him. I don't know if that's a Panther fan or what. Is that a victory dance? I don't know, but... But that's a picture of wholehearted, okay? Well, today we're not going to talk about being a wholehearted Broncos fan or even a Niners fan. We're going to be talking about being a wholehearted follower, and it starts with the center, clearly defining what is the center of my life and then living out of that center. And so today we're going to look at two different passages of Scripture. We're going to kind of pull them together. Um, the first one is one that we started with last week, Romans 12. We're just going to go to first two verses there. And then we're going to look at another passage from Mark's gospel where Jesus had an interaction with a teacher of the law and gave a clear picture of what it looks like to be wholehearted. So if you want to turn to Romans 12, if you've got your um, Northgate app in the sermon notes, um, it'll be right there inside. Otherwise, you can use the uh, paper version, the old school version that's uh, there in your bulletin. Romans 12, 1 and 2. This is what Paul wrote. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living 
sacrifice. That's wholehearted. Holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to attest and approve what God's will is, what his purpose, what his calling on your life is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So that, that's what Paul said. This is, this is how it starts. It starts with your center, offering your whole life to God, transforming your mind. In that, you're going to discover his calling, his purpose for your life. Now, in Mark chapter 12, um, it's the account of Jesus' conversation uh, with the teacher of the law. And it actually comes at the end of a series of debates and conversations that he's had with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Herodians and other teachers of the law. And it's been kind of this ongoing dialogue for this whole chapter. But you get to verse 28 in Mark 12, and it says, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart and with all your understanding and all your strength and to love your neighbors yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he'd answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. You see, part of our calling as Christ followers is to bring the kingdom of God to bear on this earth. That's, that's the general calling to, to make up there, down here. Thy kingdom come, we're taught to pray. That's that general calling on every Christ follower's life. But it works itself out differently in each and every one of us. Jesus said, there is no commandment greater. This is the most important thing you can do with your life. The following and finding your life purpose is, is not a part-time gig. Okay, pursuing your calling, that's not a hobby. It's something that requires all in, every aspect of your being. The key to the meaning of your life and mine is going all in with God. Because he created you, he shaped and formed you, and he's the one who's put that calling on your life. He has prepared you to live with that purpose. So it starts from the center. That's where we're going to start today. And um, we're going to talk about what does that look like? What does it look like when my life is centered on God? And I want to start with this idea. When my life, when your life is centered on God, I begin to direct my heart to follow him. Because it all starts with God. And, and you may not know this, but God made you to love you. Now, that might not be the picture you got of God in the church that you grew up in. That may not be the picture of God that you've ever had from the outside looking in. But the truth of the matter is, God made you to love you. He is his very essence. He is love. Ephesians 1.4 says this. Because of his love, God had already decided to make us his own children through Jesus Christ. That is what he wanted and what pleased him. 
that we were created for this relationship with God and, and in our sinfulness and in our rebellion and in our, our, our faults and our mistakes and, and some of our sin is just by neglect and other times it's shaking our puny little fists at God saying, I'm going to do it my way. But every one of those actions, what that does is it has separated us from God. Separate us from that relationship with God. What Jesus Christ came to do was to restore that relationship. See, God never stopped loving us. God never stops loving you. He created you in his image. And one of the things that that does is it makes you uniquely able to love him back. And that's different than all the rest of creation. That's different than any other animal, than any other anything in all of creation. What makes us uniquely human is that we are created in God's image, and part of that is the ability to love him back. There's another part to it, though. He also gave us the ability to choose. We can say yes, or we can say no. So he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Say yes. Say yes to what God has for your life. See, because any personal relationship takes the agreement of both sides. God continues to love you. He'll never stop loving you. But he always leaves you and me with the choice whether we will say yes or we will, where we will say no. And that ability to choose, that's at the heart of who we are. Uh, Dallas Willard talks about this in his book, Renovation of the Heart. And he kind of gives a diagram to help you understand this passage, actually, that we're looking at. And he starts with your heart. Your heart is the central part of who you are. Your heart, if I could put up the graphic here, your heart is your will, essentially. It's your ability to choose. It's your choices. It's your decisions. It's your commitments. Um, It's all of those things that you choose to do with your life. That is the heart of you. Your decisions come out of your will, which is your heart. Now, the choices that you make start to affect the other areas of your life. It starts to impact your thoughts and your ideas. That's your, your mind. And so that's kind of the next circle out, if you will. Your mind is your thoughts, your opinions, your ideas, your whole way of thinking. When you are centering your heart on God, it starts to change your thoughts and your thought patterns, which then begins to impact your behavior. And that's when he talks about with all of your strength. Your strength is basically what you do with your body. It's your behavior and it's your actions. And what ties them all together is your soul. Your soul is what unifies and integrates everything else about you. It is your whole being all together. But it all starts with the heart. It starts with the decisive center of who you and I are. And that's why the writer of Proverbs says this, above all else, guard your heart. Guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Your heart is so important because everything you do flows out of that. And if you're going to find and fulfill your higher calling, it's got to start with your center. It's got to start with your will. You have to choose to make God the center of your life. That's the beginning place. And it is, it's, it's what Christ came to do to restore that relationship. And through Christ, we can make that choice to follow him. And in that, what we're doing is we're bringing God to the center of our life. Everything else is going to radiate out of that. It's going to affect the choices that I make from now on. It starts with one big choice. 
I make that choice. In fact, the word repentance literally means to change your mind. But not just like, well, I was going to wear shorts today, but I decided I changed my mind to wear long pants. Okay? That's not the kind of decision. It's to change your mind in such a way that it actually changes the direction of your life. That's what repentance is. It is a shifting of the way that I think. It's that big decision to say God is going to be the center of my life. Now, what that does is it sets in motion a whole series of decisions for the rest of your life. Because every day you make that decision. Will God remain at the center of my life, or will something else take that place? And what happens every day is we get so consumed with life and all the other decisions we have to make and all the other things that get us down or elate us or whatever it might be, that our life gets really cluttered and, and, and the center gets a little bit cloudy. And that's why our worship gatherings are so important. That's why we come together every weekend because this is a place where we recenter. <laughs> we, 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 we recalibrate our lives. Because it got a little fuzzy and it got a little off course throughout the week. And so we come together and when we sing songs of worship, we are reminding ourselves how good God is and how he really does belong in the center. And when we sing songs, I am no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. It is reminding me that he's the center of my life. And whatever fears or struggles I might be facing right now, God is greater than every one of them. And that's not what's going to run my life. He's the center of my life. So we sing those songs to remind ourselves and recalibrate our, our whole being. And then, and then we take the time to learn from God's word because that keeps us back on course. Ephesians 5.18 then says, So be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. It's a decision that you make. Now, as I begin to direct my heart towards God, what happens now is I begin to think in a different way. That decision now begins to affect the way that I think. So he says, love the Lord your God with all your mind. Your mind is your thoughts, your attitudes, your opinions. It's how you, uh, it includes your perceptions and how you process things. So I'll give you an example of that. So I decide I need to buy a new car. Okay? That's a decision that I make. That one decision starts to change all the way that I think. All of a sudden, when I've decided I'm going to buy a new car, now I start paying attention to the car ads on TV. I don't just zap through them. I go, oh, yeah, I want to see that. What is that one about? What kind of deal they have going on? I start going online. I do research, you know, Equifa uh, the, the CarMax and, and TrueCar and all those websites. And I start looking at different models. I, I look up websites and I, and I start thinking about, well, I'm interested in a Toyota, but maybe a Mazda, maybe a Chevy, maybe a Ford, you know. And I start thinking about cars constantly. And I kind of get in my mind the kind of car that I'm looking for. And then, then as I'm driving down the freeway, I start noticing those cars. Or am I the only one that does this? No, no. You become obsessed with cars. It changes the way that you think. That decision that I'm going to buy a car starts changing the way that I think. I start noticing things I never noticed before. I start thinking about resale value. I start thinking about what I can afford. You know, all of those things. And it all comes from a decision that I made to buy a new car. When you make the decision to put God at the center of your life, when you make the decision to follow Jesus, it starts changing the way that you think. Some things become much more important to you, and other things, not so much anymore. And it begins to affect how you interpret your circumstances and your experiences as well. 
how you react to situations. You know, the age-old comparison between an optimist and a, and a pessimist. The optimist sees the glass as half full. You know, the pessimist sees it as half empty. Somebody told me the other day, there's a third option. It's the pragmatist. He just takes a drink. <laughs> See, it all depends on how you look at the situation. But the decision to follow him starts to affect the way that you think. And so that's why he talks about loving the Lord your God with all your mind. It's why Paul wrote in Romans 12, so do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Researchers, brain researchers, have discovered, it's been a number of years ago now, this thing called neuroplasticity. And, it, and it, 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 what they've discovered is that our thinking, our mind begins to actually affect our physical brain. And then our physical brain, in turn, starts to affect our mind or the way that we think. And what they have found is when somebody learns um, a new activity or, or a new program or a new way of doing things, the more that they do it that way, the more that they experience that, the more that they think it through, the more that they work it through, what happens is actually in your brain, a neural pathway begins to develop. And the more that you do it, that neural pathway becomes stronger. And that's why you, as you get older, you start to forget things and because you, you don't do those things quite so much and your brain can only do so much at one time. And so it's the things that you concentrate on are the things that, 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 that you get stronger and better at. That's why I do crossword puzzles, <laughs> just to get my brain thinking and keep those neural pathways open and clear, you know? But that, that's the idea. So what happens with that then is what you feed your brain, what you feed your mind, it, that is going to determine the health of your thoughts. It's the old saying, garbage in, garbage out. You fill your brain with garbage, that's what's going to come out in your thinking, and so Paul writes this idea um, in Philippians 4, and it's not in your printed outline, but it is on the app side. It says this, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Feed your mind with good thoughts. Feed your mind with godly thoughts. Again, worship becomes so important. See, at the essence, that's what loving God and living for him at its essence is called worship. And when I make him the center of my life, my whole life becomes that act of worship. And when we gather together and we sing those songs, we reinforce those decisions. It starts to change the way that we think. Jesus had a conversation with a woman in Samaria. Samaritan woman at the well. And she has this whole conversation with him. And part of the conversation, she brings up this whole idea of worship. And, and, she, and she gets into a, a discussion with Jesus about the proper place and the proper style and the proper way to worship. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Worship is not about a place. It's not about a style. It's not about a way. He says this, God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. He makes a connection between our thinking and our worship. Peter has that same idea. He says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The greatest source you have for renewing your mind, the greatest source you have for learning how God's ways are and how God thinks is Scripture. 
So one of the best things you can do for renewing your mind is really just start reading Scripture. Start reading the Bible. It's a great place to start. And, and we have resources today that we didn't have 25, 30 years ago. They have, you, there is an app on Android and iOS. It's available, and it's a free app called YouVersion. Y-O-U-V-E-R-S-I-O-N. It is the Bible with reading plans, if you want to do a reading plan. Um, and it's got just about every English translation there is of Scripture. So you can find a translation that's easy for you to read and understand, but just start reading it in, in, in larger sections to get a good overall picture. Learn to study Scripture. That's what's behind our community groups. When you're in a community group, you start studying deeper the things that we talk about and just touch on the surface here in, the, in our weekend worship services. But you get together and you learn how to study the Bible together. And it's discussion-oriented. We have a whole series of classes through our Northgate U, and every one of them is biblically centered. Whether it's a topical series like your marriage or your finances, it's all going to be what God's design is for your marriage and for your finances. If it's a theology class, it's what God has to say about this particular topic or this belief. If it's a book study, it's what a whole book through the Bible or maybe an overview of the Old Testament or the New Testament. We have made so many resources available to people to learn how to study Scripture. And if you've never taken in a Northgate U class. Sign up for one today because they're starting this week. But, but learn how to study Scripture. And then the other thing that you can do is start to meditate. And, and you may even think I'm too old for this, but you can memorize Scripture, okay? That doesn't have to be when you were a kid in Sunday school. And, and people say, well, how do you meditate? How do you meditate on Scripture, okay? Best thing I ever heard somebody say is, if you can worry, you can meditate, because worry is just thinking about the same thing over and over and over and over again, and what might happen if, and what could possibly go wrong, and all that kind of stuff. That's what worry is, just thinking about something over and over again. That's what meditation is. So meditate on Scripture, and take a small section, and just think your way through it. Here's a great way to do it. Very familiar passage of Scripture, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever would believe on him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Okay? Most of us kind of know that. Okay? To meditate on that is to think about that word by word. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. God is interested in the world. God so loved the world that God loves this world. That is his nature. He is loving. He loves the people of this world. He loves his creation. God loved the world that he gave. That the ultimate expression of his love, what is in his giving, his one and only son. And you just think that through. You process that through your mind word by word and what each word, the implications of each of those words. That's meditation. That's something you can do. It's not that hard. It takes time. But it's something you can do, and it will renew your mind. It will start changing the way that you think. And when my life is centered on God, and my heart is moving in his direction, and my, my words and my way of thinking is changing, then what happens is I begin to change the way that I act and behave. And that's what he talks about when he says, love the Lord your God with all your strength. Because your strength has to do with your actions and your behaviors. It's what you do with your body. 
It's what I do with my body. And that's why Paul wrote about that to the Roman church in Romans 12.1. In your paper, I know it says 12.41. There is no 41 verses in verse 12. That's a typo, okay? It's verse 1. But he said this, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. That what you do with your body is also an act of worship. See, when I make God the center, it begins to change the way I think, and my thoughts become more of my beliefs, and then my beliefs become convictions, and when they become convictions, it changes the way that I start behaving. I, I start acting in a different way. Jesus connected that knowledge with action. He said to his disciples, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Knowledge, action. Knowledge, action. Paul did the same thing. He said, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. See, there's taking that knowledge and then putting it into practice, that is that act of worship. It's taking knowledge and then acting on it. Another example, car illustrations today. I don't know why. Maybe I'm thinking of buying a new car. But anyway... um, Okay, you've got, a, you've got a car, you've got a dashboard on your car. And on that dashboard are all kinds of gauges and lights and all kinds of things. They tell you what's going on under the hood. And if you're paying attention to the, all the gauges on your car and you notice that one of them, the fuel gauge, is starting to get down towards E, now you have knowledge. But you better do something about it. See, if you don't act on it, it will act on you. <laughs> so you. So you come to the knowledge that I am low on gas The action that I take is I start looking for gas stations. Now, if it's not all the way on E, I'll look at the try to find a station with the lowest price. If it's down on the E, I'll take any old gas station I can find. But I have to act on it. See, and that's that's how it works in your life with everything. As you gain the knowledge, what you need to do is you need to act on it. And I'm not talking about just doing churchy things, okay, or or spiritual practices. I'm talking about your everyday life. We talked about this last week. It's taking every aspect of my life and making it an act of worship. There was a 17th century monk, went by the name of Brother Lawrence, and he developed this this idea of practicing the presence of God. That in every activity that he did or any circumstance he was in, he tried to approach it with the sense that God is here with me in the middle of this. God is with me when I am hoeing in the garden. God is with me when I'm speaking to a brother. God is in those conversations. God is in my behavior. God is in my actions. And actually, they took the collection of his writings and actually put them together and published the book called Practicing the Presence of God. And that's really what we're talking about here. It's your everyday life. It's in your relationships, recognizing that God is here in the middle of this relationship. So that's going to change the way that I am talking to this person. It has to do with how I am in my neighborhood. It has to do with how I am on my job, that I do my job knowing that God is here with me, and I do it in a God-honoring way. So if you are a teacher, then you become the best teacher you can be because God is with you in your teaching. If you are a nurse, you become the best nurse you can be because God is with you in your nursing as you care for somebody. If you are a carpenter, then you become the best carpenter you can be because God is with you in your building. If you are a lawyer... 
Well, good luck with that. I, <laughs> I don't want to offend any lawyers. If you are a lawyer and you have found a way to bring God into that, you, man, you go to the top of the list for me, okay? But the, the whole idea is that God is involved in every practice of your life. And it affects your behavior and your actions and your conversations and all of that. It's making him the center of my life. It's acting and behaving in a way that is consistent with my life, which actually brings us to the last one, which is when my life is centered on God, I begin to live with a sense of purpose and calling. I begin to live a different life. Now, I know the soul, I took it out of order, okay? But I did that for a reason, because of the way that, that Dallas Willard has kind of put up. Because what he says is that it's your soul that integrates all of those others. It's your soul that brings unity to all of it. So when he says, love the Lord your God with all your soul, he's saying with every fiber of your being, that your soul takes your, your, your decisions and your thoughts and your actions and, and makes them all together. It is the deepest part of who you are, Dallas Willard says. And it is also the sum and total of who you are. It is both at the same time because it's what unifies everything else. That's why the psalmist wrote, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. My soul causes all that is within me to be an act of worship to God. It integrates your actions and your behavior. It integrates your thoughts and your attitudes. It integrates your decisions and your intentions. It brings it all together because ultimately, ultimately your soul is what drives you to God. It's your soul. It's your soul that whispers to you there must be something more to life than just existence. It's your soul that gives you that longing for purpose and meaning in your life. It's your soul that gives you that unsettled feeling when you know that your actions and your behavior are inconsistent with what you say are your beliefs. That's not just your conscience. That's your soul speaking to you. Because it's your soul that integrates. And when you violate your, that, what happens is your soul becomes disintegrated. And that's what sin does. See, that, that's the true nature of sin. It's what disintegrates that unity between decisions and thoughts and behavior. It's your soul that drives you to God. It's your soul that tells you what is good and what is right. It is the most precious thing about you. And it needs to be guarded as well. See, when you make the decision to put God at the center, everything else starts to fall into place. So like I said, it starts with that first big decision. I must decide, you must decide to put God at the center of your life. There's a whole lot of things that can take that place. There are a whole lot of things that will compete for that. And some of them are very, very good things. But if God is not at the center, anything else you put there is going to disappoint you. Because see, only God really knows you. He formed you, created you, shaped you. Only God truly loves you, the real you. He knows you better than you know yourself, and he still loves you. (laughs) 
And that's why Jesus said, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. If you want to hang on to your life, if you want to make that, if you're going to do it your own way, if you're going to be your own boss, if you're going to, you're going to be the, the, the ruler of your life, if you're going to take that approach with your life, ultimately you will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. You will find your purpose. You will find your calling. And so he closes with this question. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Would you bow your heads with me? You were made to be an object of God's love. And he desires for you to know him and to love him in return. And that is the beginning of discovering your life calling. Like I said, because he made you, he formed you, he knows you best. He loves you just the way that you are. But you and I have to make a decision. Will we love him in return? Will we make him the center of our life? Now, some of us in this room, many probably of us in this room, have already made that decision. But maybe over the last week or month or year or maybe longer, there's been a drift in that. Other things have kind of crowded out and filled up that center. And because of that, your life has kind of drifted in a different direction, kind of off the main road and, and taken a detour. And maybe for you, it, it's coming back to that first big decision. It said, no, no, God, you need to be at the center of my life. I'm not doing such a good job on my own. It may be that you've never made that very first decision to entrust your life to him. Either way, you can make a decision because that's what the heart is all about. You make the decision to put him at the center of your life. You make the decision to follow him. And if you've never done that before, you can do that today. It may very, be, very well be the reason you're here today, although you didn't know it. Because it's time for you to decide. So if you're here and you've made that decision before, but as you're honest with yourself, you've been kind of, other things have squeezed them out. Other things have kind of made it a little fuzzy for you. And, and today it's that decision to put him back at that center place. And if that describes you, I want to pray for you and pray with you in this decision to put him back in the center. So would you just raise your hand and hold it up for a moment so I can recognize you and pray with you? Yeah, 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 yes, yes, yeah. Now maybe you've never made the first decision. And it simply starts with this. It's acknowledging your need. It's acknowledging that you've been trying to do it on your own. And it's time to give up. And you need his forgiveness, but that's why he came and died on the cross for you. So you just admit your need and you make that decision, Lord, I'm putting my life in your hands. Would you show me how to live from here on out? And if you've never done that before, but today it's a first-time decision for you, same thing, would you just raise your hand for a moment so I can acknowledge you and pray with you? Is there anybody? All right. So would you join me in prayer? Lord, 
we bring our lives to you. Knowing our faults and our failures, our mistakes, our sin. Knowing how easily other things start filling up that center and become distractions to us. But many of us today have acknowledged it's time to recenter, refocus on you. God, as we make that decision, would you show us this week how that lives itself out in each of our lives? And for those making that first-time decision, just in the acknowledgement of their need of you and their willingness to surrender to you, Lord, would you meet them in this moment and make that decision a life-changing decision? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.